As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. You're muted. I don't know if you know, but whenever you speak, you have to unmute your microphone. Wisconsin legislature versus Andrea Palm. In the midst of the deadliest pandemic the world has faced in over a century, the legislature asks this court to handcuff DHS's power to combat infectious disease. The order is unauthorized and we're asking the court to say as much. It just can't be that DHS has more authority even than the governor himself. Where in the Constitution did the people of Wisconsin confer authority on a single unelected cabinet secretary to compel almost six million people to stay at home? Your position is the secretary can identify behavior that is not otherwise criminal, and she can all by herself sit down at her computer keyboard, write up a, a description of behavior, and make it criminal, correct? What I would say, Your Honor, is the legislature has created this statutory scheme itself. This is the broadest, most sweeping order we know of in Wisconsin history. The agency, for whatever reason, chose to go it alone. The COVID-19 virus is a wildfire that's spreading across the state. And DHS is the fire department that the legislature has empowered to fight that fire. The people have no means to oversee this exercise of power that derives from them in the first place. People will die if, if this order is enjoined with nothing to replace it. That is exactly what will happen. Does Wisconsin's Department of Health Services have the legal power to keep the state shut down until the end of May? DHS says it's an act of safety. The legislature says it's an act of tyranny. We're taking you to yesterday's eventful state Supreme Court hearing where both sides battled it out. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda. Hey, Brian. So we're bringing you new episodes of Open Record each day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through all of this coronavirus news. We're recording this episode on Wednesday morning, May 6, 2020. At the time of recording, we are still waiting for Wisconsin State Supreme Court's ruling on whether DHS has the power to keep much of the state closed until May 26th. By the time you listen to this, we may have that decision, and that's why we have Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi on the phone. He's going to walk us through the arguments and the key moments from yesterday's hearing. Hi, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me on. Jason, I want to start with a quick summary of how we got here. What's the backstory for people who have not been following this issue? So the backstory is Wisconsin has what's called safer at home. It's a stay at home order. And the original order expired on April 24th. But before that expiration, the Department of Health Services secretary designee, she extended this safer at home order a whole extra month to May 26th. Now, she cited in her in her order, she cited state law that does allow the department 
to do things like cancel public gatherings. Uh, so that was the legal fr- framework for her order. But then the GOP legislative leaders, both of the Assembly and the state Senate, they sued. They brought it right to the Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin and said this is a, an overreach of her power. It, it needs legislative oversight. And so therefore they brought it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court agreed to take up the case. There was a flood of briefs both for and against Safer at Home. And then the Supreme Court had oral arguments yesterday. They lasted about an hour and a half. And now we're just waiting for that decision to come down. We know the justices did meet yesterday after oral arguments in what's called a a conference, which is where things like votes on cases happen. Now, we never know ahead of time whether or not justices will vote during their conference on a particular case. We never know when the decision is going to come out, but we do think it's likely that this decision will be coming very soon. Jason, before we get into the legal arguments here, if we take a step back, we've done previous episodes of Open Record where we talked about the governor's powers in uh, crises like this, and we discussed whether or not the governor actually has the power to do what he did with the original order. And it's clear he does have that power. But for those who, who don't maybe follow all the legal ins and outs, that emergency order shutting down the state effectively, the safer at home order uh, lasts for 60 days. And that expires not long from now, coming up in in just a matter of days. But the DHS order that goes until May 26th extends beyond that. Is that really what's at play here? Is that gap in time between the expiration of the governor's emergency powers and the order that goes all the way out until May 26th? Right. So there are two different uh, in state statute. There are two different emergency powers that we're talking about. So, yes, the governor's emergency powers. And now think about normally when these emergency powers are activated is when there's something like a tornado or some sort of natural disaster, a wildfire. They'll at, he'll activate emergency powers and it will allow him to do things at a, at a very quick speed and do things they wouldn't normally be able to do. And it gives him that timetable of 60 days. What happens after 60 days is if 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 there's still the emergency emergency ongoing, then the state legislature can extend out those emergency powers, the state of emergency past the 60 days. But it does require the legislative approval. Now, the second thing is that we're talking about Department of Health Health Services. They have in, in state law their own emergency powers to deal with epidemics, and it does not give a timetable here. And if you look at that second order put out by the health secretary designee, it doesn't mention the governor. Uh, emergency. It, it, it bases it on her own emergency powers found separately in state statute, which does not have a timetable. So that was their argument in court yesterday was that they were basing this upon the state statute, which says the Department of Health Services may forbid public gatherings. In it talks about schools. It talks about churches. It talks about other places where um, where people gather, and she can do that to control outbreaks and epidemics. So it's very clear in statute that she has that power, but the Republicans are countering and say that this is an overreach, that what she's done is more than just a simple order. What she's done is established a rule, and in state law, rules require legislative oversight. A rule applying to the whole state mandating certain actions would require legislative oversight, and that was what they were arguing yesterday in court. Jason, what is the state Supreme Court's role here? Because contrary to popular belief, this is not supposed to be an argument about whether safer at home is a good idea in principle. 
Right. That was what one of the justices said uh, yesterday was this is not a, a case. Uh, what they're not deciding is whether or not this is a good idea, uh, the, the prudence of, of closing the state down, but looking at the statute. And this really is a statutory question. There's a separate lawsuit filed with the state Supreme Court, and they, they are looking at that. And that is a second lawsuit deals with constitutional issues like the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. Two Wisconsinites say those freedoms have been infringed because because of Safer at Home, and that case is still ongoing. Uh, briefs are still being filed in that case. That deals with the Constitution. But yesterday's case was all about statute and what does the meaning of the text mean when it says DHS may forbid public gatherings. Does that mean she can close down uh, restaurants and bars? Is that considered a public gathering? So the, the, the meaning of the text of state law was what was at play yesterday. And that is the role of the Supreme Court justices to really look at that state law and look at, well, does it mean that she can, yes, close all the bars and all the restaurants in the state, public gatherings and things like that? What does that mean when it says public gatherings can be forbidden by her? The Supreme Court, whenever they hold oral arguments, there are arguments of law that are technically at play, but there is often uh, an undertone of, of other things, in some cases, uh, political divisions that are that are going on. And clearly this one has uh, a high amount of political intensity and interest um, statewide. And, and it seems like the way these oral arguments went, while, while Supreme Court justices are essentially nonpartisan, we know there's a conservative uh, uh, majority on this bench. It seems as though some of those politics came into play during oral arguments. What did you observe as you were watching that? Yeah, exactly. It did seem that the conservative majority, remember it's a it's a right now it's a 5 to 2 conservative majority and uh that they did seem skeptical. We had it, we had two uh of the Supreme Court uh, conservatives who really sort of chipped away at the legal foundations of the Department of Health Services order. Uh you had um somebody like Rebecca Bradley who just really came out swinging at the uh, Assistant Attorney General Colin Roth who was defending the Evers administration, defending the Department of Health Services here. And she just came out swinging. She she just, you know, right away. And this is what we always see in oral arguments, including at the U.S. Supreme Court, where the uh, where the lawyer will start his opening statement and then immediately the uh, the justices will chime in with a question, kind of interrupting that train of thought and kind of getting to what they want to to ask about. And that's what we saw yesterday with Rebecca Bradley just kind of immediately chipping away at uh, Colin Roth's argument. And, and, and she had really used uh, language that was very striking. Um, she she referred to the uh, the order and compared it to what happened with the Japanese internment uh, during World War II. Well, it's a pandemic and there isn't enough time to promulgate a rule and have the legislature involved with determining the, the details of the scope of the secretary's authority. I'll direct your attention to another time in history in the Korematsu decision where the court said the need for action was great and time was short, and that justified, and I'm quoting, assembling together and placing under guard all those of Japanese ancestry in assembly centers during World War II. That was very strong language. She asked, you know, where in the Constitution did people hand over their authority on a single unelected cabinet secretary? Isn't it the very definition of tyranny for one person to order people to be imprisoned for going to work? among other ordinarily lawful activities. 
Um, and so that was what you saw with Rebecca Bradley on, on the conservative side. And, and they really did seem to dominate uh, with, with their questions, really probing uh, the Evers administration and really kind of being very skeptical of that legal fr- uh, framework and foundation for uh, the order safer at home. What about the justices who are traditionally backed by liberal groups? Yeah, there was some interesting questions uh, to to the Republicans about, you know, will this lead to chaos? Right? If if you if you if the Supreme Court does strike this down, would it lead to chaos in the state of Wisconsin? And you saw Colin Roth, the assistant attorney general, even going so far as saying if the court strikes this down with no replacement, lives would be lost. I mean, that was what he said again and again, is that lives are on the line. The Department of Health Services, according to Roth, is like a firefighter. The COVID-19 virus is a wildfire that's spreading across the state. And DHS is the fire department that the legislature has empowered to fight that fire. And that fire is still burning. It's still smoldering across the state. When we start lifting these restrictions, it's going to pop back up. They are commissioned by the legislature to go out and deal with a crisis. And and just like the firefighter goes out and they block off roads, they have to break into buildings, they have to do everything they can to save lives and to stop the fire. And in that that's the, the analogy Colin Roth used to refer to DHS, that they're sort of the firefighters when it comes to communicable diseases. And they need to do everything in their power to stop this, to save lives and to protect the citizens of Wisconsin. Obviously, everyone is watching this closely to find out, is the state Supreme Court going to strike down safer at home or is this going to continue? That's really the ultimate question that most of us have uh, sitting at home and, and, and following these orders and, and following the coronavirus outbreaks. But what does the law itself actually say? Because in the end, it really does come down to what does the law say here? So there's competing statutes, and that's why an issue like this is so tricky, so complicated, and ends up at the highest court in the state, which is the Supreme Court. Uh, One of the things you have to keep in mind is state law does say when an agency like the Department of Health Services puts out a rule, that rule can – the legislature has oversight over that. So that includes – Think about it. So if let's say today I put out a rule that, uh, you know, the speed limit is going to be 55 miles an hour. Well, first thing is that rule doesn't go into effect right away. There's a public comment period. There are committee hearings. There's oversight and things like that. And that process usually takes years. Yeah, I mean, it takes a long time. Now, when we're dealing with an emergency rule, which, you know, there's the statute also deals with emergency rules, which this is what that would be. It's a lot. It's a the the department can move a lot more quickly. But still, there is that oversight of the legislature. Um, they, They talked about this at length yesterday in the hearing, and they said that the the Republican lawyer said that the oversight from the legislature would actually happen in about 12 days after this rule actually goes into effect. Then the legislature could convene and and do things to to oversee this particular uh, new rule that the Republicans are asking for. So that is what the Republicans asked for, they said. If uh, the court does strike down this this safer at home order, that they give the Department of Health Services six days to come up with a replacement rule following the the protocol of rulemaking laid out in state law, which does include that – that oversight by the legislature. Uh, back to state law, though, you know, so you have that point, which is the oversight in rulemaking. The legislature has a say in rulemaking. That's point number one. But point number two is state law does say the Department of Health Services can forbid public gatherings and uh, may use uh, whatever you know means necessary or authorize emer- 
any emergency measures to control uh, communicable diseases. So that's what state law says. So there's there's kind of competing things going on here. What exactly is safer at home? Is it an order or is it a rule? If it is a rule, which is what the Republicans are arguing, then it would require legislative oversight, which did not happen in this case. Now, the Evers administration says, no, it's not a, a rule. It's an order. And, and according to state law, Department of Health Services can do an order forbidding public gatherings, which is what they're saying they did right here with Safer at Home. I'm curious, Jason, about how this compares to other states that have extended their stay-at-home orders. Ohio's goes through May 29th. Republican Governor Mike DeWine there. He has the backing of the legislature, and we haven't heard really the same pushback there as we've been experiencing here in Wisconsin. Right. There there have been some new lawsuits filed um, just this week in some of the other states, like in Washington state, the Republicans have just recently filed a lawsuit against uh, Governor Jay Inslee, uh, the Democrats. So you see, again, in, in Washington state, a few Republican lawmakers suing the Democratic governor, exactly what you saw here, where you saw the Republican legislative leaders suing Governor Evers here in Wisconsin. So you do see that playing out. Um, you saw a, a lawmaker in Illinois. You saw one lawmaker suing the governor there to be exempt from uh, from their safer at home or stay at home order. So you do see these lawsuits popping up in, in, in Minnesota. There's been lawsuits in Maryland. There's a brand new lawsuit against their uh, stay at home order. So you do see these lawsuits popping up in courts around the country, Washington, Maryland, in uh, other places. So it is something that's happening. This is uh, our our state, obviously, right to the Supreme Court, uh, the, the highest court in the land, and really the court of last resort for an issue like this dealing with uh, Wisconsin state law. Amanda raised a good point that in Ohio, for instance, you have a governor who has the backing of the legislature here because the legislature does not back this governor on balance. Uh, that's, I, I assume, where the issues come in that it does this change or this uh, this rule or order, whichever it is, by uh, the secretary designee of Department of Health Services, if it requires legislative approval, the assumption is the legislature wouldn't approve it. And and so because of that difference, that is that what has us where we are right now? Yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, it's just been such a chaotic time in the legislature with with the with, you know, Republicans controlling and the Democratic administration running running the governor's uh, running as governor. So, you know, you, you've seen that since day one, even in the lame duck with with uh, when Governor Scott Walker was leaving, where you saw these laws passed to uh, restrict the future administration's powers. Um, so it's been a really tough go of it. And they've had a pretty dicey relationship here between the legislature and and the governor and and this just continues to go on and that's what you see here at play republicans said they had no say in safer at home they wanted to have a say they wanted to have a seat at the table they said that they deserve that and they say state law does give them that right to have a say in rulemaking and they said they did not get that in this situation so it's just one more piece of the ongoing fight between Republicans and Democrats in the state of Wisconsin, which is always at play. We've seen it for so many years now where the the two parties have had just ongoing conflict and strife. These Supreme Court arguments happened via teleconferencing. They were virtual Supreme Court arguments. So what kind of role did that play in how yesterday unfolded? 
Well, you saw at the very beginning, as we had in the intro here, where you know you had to give directions to the justices about muting their microphones and unmuting their microphones. I mean, it's standard fare for for these Zoom meetings. Um, and and you also saw, which was interesting, over you know they were using the Zoom technology, and Zoom technology allows you to set a, a background image. And you saw several of the justices, even though they were working from home, had the had a, had a picture in the background uh, that made it look like they were in the courtroom. Um, so that was one thing at, at play. And then you also had some crosstalk and where you had people competing to see who was going to get the microphone, who was going to ask the next question. And there, there was definitely some arguments about that. Um, but this is what you see every time you go to oral arguments, even in person, where you have that conflict over who's going to ask the next question and who's going to get in, you know, the next the next word here. So and, and every time we have a Zoom meeting, you know, it's who's going to talk next. And there is that crosstalk. There is that situation where people are are interrupting each other just because there is the delay and there's the technology and the microphones and, and earpieces and all of that. So that was definitely at play yesterday when we watched the uh, one and a half hour oral arguments over Zoom yesterday. Jason, you mentioned us being in part where we are because of the inability of the legislature and the governor to sort of get along and to to have conversations. And yet there's an extraordinary meeting going on yesterday as this Supreme Court hearing was happening between Governor Evers and and the other side talking about essentially sort of what's going to happen going forward, depending upon the outcome of this case. Can you talk a little bit about what's been going on there? Sure. So Governor Evers and it was a digital meeting, uh, as as most things are nowadays. Uh, So Governor Evers had a, a phone call or a conference call with the, the top four leaders of the legislature. So that's the two top Republicans and then the two top Democrats. And Governor Evers, before that meeting, said it wasn't related to the Supreme Court case. He said it was because Republicans on Friday had uh, sent him a letter asking for a two-hour meeting. That's that's the reason he said they, they did have this meeting. But what is interesting is in light of this Supreme Court case, what Republicans have asked for, they've suggested the Supreme Court to give the Department of Health Services six days to come up with a replacement rule. And of course, that would require some buy-in from, from the legislature. So of course, going into this meeting, we, we thought this is setting the groundwork for potential future having to come up with a compromise rule going forward. But Governor Evers said that that was not what this was about. It was about laying out uh, and having a conversation. He said he wanted to hear from Republicans because he challenged them and said they hadn't come up with an alternative to the Badger bounce back, his proposal to get the get the state back up and running. And so he said he wanted to hear their plan. And uh, Republicans said what they were going to bring up was sort of more of a regional approach. He said uh, Republicans in their letter to Governor Evers said, you know, Superior is not the same as Milwaukee, that the state is so diverse. You've got very uh, small population, populated areas. You've got densely populated areas. And so a one-size-all uh, approach to the coronavirus pandemic doesn't work, according to the Republicans. They wanted to push for more of a regional reopening in the state of Wisconsin. Jason, what struck you as you were sitting there listening to these arguments? Were there any surprises. I know there were a few viral moments. We talked about Justice Bradley a little earlier. The Chief Justice had some comments that made their rounds on social media, but I'm curious about what struck you as you were listening. Yeah, I was struck by by just how fierce um, some of that, uh, some of the questioning was. I mean, this is obviously such an important case for the state of Wisconsin. It, it gets to the heart of public health, the economy, all these things that we're struggling with, we see the, the, the unemployment rate skyrocketing in the state. 
We see businesses closed and losing money, many of them saying they may never be able to reopen. So you've got that on one hand, but you also have this national, uh, this, well, you have this international pandemic and it, and it has hit areas. It has hit the state of Wisconsin and public health officials say that Safer at Home is working to to make you know to, to reduce those numbers to to fight this lives are on the line they say so you see that sort of that balancing act between public health and and stabilizing the economy and so you saw that in the line of questionings but again it was it was really interesting to hear justice bradley you know referring to the japanese internment referring to the you know united states constitution and and bringing up these these um these issues of tyranny you know that's very strong language and i i was really i was surprised to hear that level of uh, argumentation at the Supreme Court yesterday, but then also you had mentioned uh, the the uh, Pat Rogensack saying, you know, referring to the meat processors in Brown County. There was a discussion from the Evers administration. That's Colin Roth, the assistant uh, attorney general, and and Colin Roth had referred to the the firefighting metaphor I, I had referred to earlier that the Department of Health Services is like a firefighter going out to put out the fire and taking any means necessary to do that. And um, and he referred to how there can, you know, things can spark up. There can be a, a spark up at any point in time, a flare up, so to speak. And uh, he referred to what happened in Brown County where they had a, a spike in numbers there uh, in the Green Bay area. Pat Rogensack, uh, Justice Rogensack uh, said that. Due to the meatpacking, though, that's where the Brown County got the flare. It wasn't just the regular folks in Brown County. So that definitely got a lot of attention on social media. What does she mean by regular folks aren't meat packers, regular folks as well? Uh, that was definitely a, a viral moment and, and surprising as well, the uh, finish of the oral arguments yesterday. Mm-hmm. Jason, for, for many, many years, uh, any journalist who's covered um, uh, oral arguments knows you don't take what the or, or you, you should be careful to take the way justices act, ask questions as an indication of how they might rule. But some of these questions were so forceful and in some cases more speech like than question like. Do you are, are you able to read into this sort of an idea of where this uh, Supreme Court may be going on this decision, considering we know there's a five two conservative bent in terms of the the balance of the court. And, and some of the, the questioning here was so forceful. Is there a, some sort of is, is there a general sense? sense of what to expect. And we this may have happened by the time this podcast airs, we may already have a decision and we just don't know on that. But do you have some feel for, is this a foregone conclusion at this point? You, you, I, I really always want to say that uh, I don't want to predict what the court is going to do. And you're right, you know, line of questioning could be directed toward, you know, some some justice may ask a question not for their own edification, their own uh, decision making, but because they want to help another justice uh, come on board where they're thinking. So, you know, you, you can't read so much into the line of questioning because there's so much strategy and maneuvering when they're asking a particular question. They've already read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of briefs from from groups like the city of Milwaukee arguing for safer at home to Wisconsin Wisconsin manufacturings and commerce uh, arguing against safer at home they read all of these briefs they had those submitted to them and uh, so at the end of the day oral arguments are you know at the end of the day trying to get some some answers but also maybe trying to help their other justices come to see where they stand on this particular issue so I don't want to read too much into it but it, it just overarching a summary is that, yes, conservatives were skeptical and conservatives do have the majority five to two on this court. Uh, I think it's important to look at just the most recent uh, decisions that they've they've put out on 
safer at home on this pandemic. One is they did rule that Governor Evers did not have the power to extend unilaterally extend the uh, the election date from April to May. Uh, or April to June, actually. Uh, and so that was one. They did rule against Governor Evers already on, on the emergency orders. And secondly, they, they, they themselves have postponed the constitutional right to a jury trial throughout the state until May 22nd. So, I mean, that is a huge deal when you're talking about constitutional rights. You have a constitutional right to a speedy jury trial and the state Supreme Court said because of this public health emergency declared by Governor Evers, all jury trials are on hold until May 22nd. I think you could read into that a little bit. But again, we're going to wait for the decision to see exactly where these justices stand on Safer at Home. All right, Jason, thank you. Uh, we'll be bringing you back soon. I know we will. And I know you'll stay on top of this. So we appreciate you taking us through all that. Thanks for having me on. And we are going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover all aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. And thank you to the people who make this podcast possible every day. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record if you have not done so already. If you have, thank you very much, and we look forward to you keeping on listening. You can find this wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks once again for listening today. I'm Brian Polson For Amanda St. Hilaire, we'll be back again tomorrow. <laughs>